Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. Our guest this week is Toby Cubitt. Toby manages to balance an academic position at UCL with being the co-founder of Facecraft, one of the UK's leading quantum computing startups, as well as being dad to his two daughters. In this show, we cover the importance of co-founder relationships, managing the red alert threshold for your startup, and how changes in paternity laws have helped dads, startup or otherwise, find balance. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santhirasanan, and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. I was actually a dad first. In my case, that way round. I had my first daughter a couple of years before founding Phasecraft. And in fact, we founded Phasecraft and we're going through our first pre-seed round when I was on paternity leave with my second daughter. So I guess I came a dad twice and a co-founder of a startup at the same time. That's absolutely amazing. So Toby, I've been really interested to talk to you actually, because, you know, it's very common that most of the guests we have on the show, they go into go into parenting or so they become parents after they've had the startup. Whereas actually, you know, you actually set your startup up while you were a dad already and you were in the process of setting your startup as you'd had your first child. So everyone talks about how startups are just really difficult in the early days. So I suppose I'm really interested to know, you know, when you were going through this journey, the pre-seed round of Facecraft, before you actually took the plunge, you know, can you talk to me a little bit about your feelings about how you would do the startup thing with family obligations? Yeah, sure. I mean, as everyone who's a parent, especially of young children and hasn't yet forgotten what that's like, which I'm quickly forgetting, um, being a parent is full on. With both my daughters, I actually took six months shared parental leave both times. Perhaps part of the reason that I'm the other way around is that Facecraft is a spin out from university. I was an academic I now spend most of my time on Facecraft. I actually still have a position at UCL as the head of the quantum information group there. So I actually have three jobs, you know, being a parent, being a startup co-founder, and I still have an academic affiliation. So honestly, the thing that made it possible for me is that I had co-founders. At Facecraft, we have three co-founders, and between us, we have eight children. My co-founders are very understanding of the constraints of being a parent of young children. And so we were able to share the load and we've done that for all of each other, that there's been times where each of us has kind of has taken, okay, you're dealing with parenting at the moment. Don't worry about the startup side. There's another two of us. We can handle that. And so having two really supporting co-founders, John Morton and Ashley Montanaro, that really helped. And especially, literally, we ended up doing the first pre-seed round during my second six months of parental leave. So I was involved. You know, I was on Slack sometimes during naps and I was taking care of a two and a half year old and a six month old simultaneously on my own whilst my partner was back at work and trying, you know, there are naps when I could like respond quickly to Slack messages about pre-seed fundraising and things like that. It was definitely intense, but yeah, I think the thing that made that possible and less daunting was the fact that I had really good co-founders who understood that. There's lots talked about how actually startups live and die by the tightness of the co-founder relationship. I was listening to a podcast where very successful venture capitalist Ben Horowitz, he was talking about the number one problems he sees in startups is actually where the co-founder relationship breaks down. And the flip side of that is when you've got an incredibly strong co-founder relationship, how much more resilient 
you can be as like in your case, one third, in my case, half of the founding team and your business actually is. So uh, that's really nice to hear it applied to the dad side of things too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's not something that we'd thought through before going in that, you know, my checklist of who to co-found a company was, wasn't, do they have children and will they understand? But I guess I lucked out there. I guess all parents know you don't really understand what it's like to be a parent until you do it yourself. So, you know, it definitely helped that they had experienced that and, you know, could empathize. And I have to say that's, I think that translates into how we run Phasecraft, or at least I like to think it does as well, with making sure that as a company, we're very supportive of staff with family or other caring responsibilities. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. That's actually one of the questions I was going to ask you about how it's influenced your company culture in the way you kind of set set out expectations of of team members. I hope so. I mean, there's concrete things where my experience of taking parental leave as a father, and there's not still to this day, there are a surprisingly small proportion of dads who do that. Growing, but it's growing very slowly. It's actually been possible in the UK for much longer than people think. It's already about a decade when you could do what I did, which is to split it 50-50 and father might take the second half or the second partner. Yeah, it became much more flexible with the shared parental leave laws, which came in about a year before my first daughter was born. But what we did, we could have done 10 years ago. Very few people take it up. And having been through that and some struggles with you know, just it's legislatively and with employers, it's it's mostly it's complicated. It's not that people weren't supportive. They were figuring out how it should work. And maybe with that experience, I can see that maybe it doesn't always, sometimes the rules are not helpful in, in supporting people to do that and put people off. And there's so many barriers to fathers taking time off with young children. Even just like peer pressure, there's so few people doing it. You haven't got anyone else to talk to about what it's like. You know, you've seen your partner go through giving birth and all of the things about young babies, and then you start to feel like maybe I can't do this. And that lack of kind of a support network makes it harder, probably. So one thing we do in Facebook is firstly, I think everyone in the company knows that I took shared parental leave and I'm very supportive of that. But also to put in place actual policies like our parental pay policy. We just have a completely gender blind policy that whoever takes leave in the company gets six months on full pay. If their partner's also at the company, well, they get to have two times six months on full pay from Facecraft. We have no qualifying period for people joining the company because that just throws up pointless obstacles to people having to time career moves around starting families. And at Facecraft, we want to hire, we hire really talented, you know, we're much more interested in hiring the best people and then making sure that they're supported and do the best work they can, which means being able to balance that with family and just take obstacles out of their way rather than sort of put ones in there. That's the sort of thing I think when you hire really, really great people, you hit the nail on the head, right? The main thing you want to do is give them freedom and space to go and do their best work. I mean, I think you'll know this as a founder, there's no better way, I think, to build out the culture than to lead by example, right? And I think in these sorts of things, it's an absolutely awesome way to make that work. I'm still reeling from the bombshell that you actually have three jobs, dad, academic, and <laughs> uh, and startup guy. I quite, quite frankly feel I'm doing a shitty job of two. So I'm fascinated <laughs> to hear about uh, about how you do three. And, uh, you know, one of the questions I want, I always love asking founders who do balance lots of things. What's your approach to balancing time? Yeah, I mean, my academic role and my phasecraft role, I mean, I spend majority of my time on phasecraft currently. 
in some sense, that's clear. You make sure you know how many days you're doing one, how many days you're doing other. It's, you know, it's, there's some fluidity, of course, both sides are flexible, but that's a question of getting the balance right in terms of where you want to put the effort. And, you know, at the moment, definitely more of my time is, is on Phasecraft. In terms of the hard one is, of course, balancing parenting with anything else. <laughs> Indeed. <really. laughs> um, and I mean, probably it's like, do as I say, not as I do. I'm not perfect at it. But um, I have fairly hard boundaries. And that's something I think I've learned more than something I started off with. But really hard boundaries on protecting the time with my daughters, that the work doesn't intrude into that. And to some extent, that's a question of having faith that if I'm not on Slack for one afternoon because I'm taking them to swimming lessons, firstly, nothing's going to happen. If it does, it'll be there next morning. And thirdly, you know, I have two cow founders and a great team who will be able, if there was some real emergency, would be able to pick it up. And yeah, that means I work extremely intensely the rest of the time, like all startup founders. Yeah, I'm often working in the evenings after they've gone to bed. I think the biggest lesson I've learned, it's really important to have that time away from the startup as well to have the headspace you know downtime take weekends I and mean, exceptionally i'll work at the weekend but i try really hard that's an exception and, and it has to be something really important otherwise it's eating into some of the limited time i get with my family i guess that's the same spirit as we try and run facecraft just encourage people to have that work-life balance because that's also in my experience how you do your best work as well you're not happy with that balance you're going to be resenting working that's not how you're doing your most creative thinking it's not easy myself and my partner we've practically run our lives with a spreadsheet at the moment to try and coordinate who's doing which parenting duty between both of us but yeah i think the biggest lesson i've learned is to make sure i protect some of my time for me personally otherwise you can easily get sucked into putting everything into the startup and that's not necessarily the most productive thing you make bad decisions you stressed out you burn out it's that, protecting your own time to be a father as well as being a co-founder and trusting the team that you have hired and trusting co-founders that you're not the only person who can do the job. Totally agree. And like you say, as something I'm learning to do. I've learned this recently, actually, because HX, as the number of team members we've had has doubled uh, over the last kind of six months or so. And one of the things that I've realized is if you keep the event that causes a, a green, red, or amber alert the same, and your business grows, you, all you do is grow the number of times you feel stressed. <laughs> right? And it's actually right. a deeply suboptimal thing to do is just to feel stressed all the time. <laughs> and learning to actually have that time to take a reflection on actually what is important, what can wait, what can't wait. You know, some things can't wait, like you say, but actually those are few and far between. And the red alert events, you know, they don't scale. They should be a reasonably constant proportion of red alert events. They might be different in magnitude, but yeah, it's a very, very valuable lesson. Yeah, I completely agree. Either you go in thinking you've got to do absolutely everything and you've got to be on top of absolutely everything. And to some extent at the very beginning, yes, when it's really a brand new startup, you do. You have to learn to let go to some extent and trust that your time is the most valuable asset the company has. And if you're spending all your time, high stress levels, just firefighting with things that maybe you don't need to, maybe there's someone else who can take care of them. You're actually not, that's not optimal for the company. It's not optimal for you personally. And yeah, you will burn out and it won't end well. I'd love to circle back to paternity leave. One thing I wanted to, to say, and I'm super great to have you on the show because you've talked about it already. It's still incredibly uncommon, I think, for dads to take more than two weeks. Yeah, and imagine it in the UK, I think, fact check this, but I think it's only from 2001 that you even got two really? weeks as a father. 
before that, it was zero. Yeah, there was no legal entitlement to any paternity leave at all, which is kind of crazy to think how recent that is. At least I feel recent to me. <laughs> I'm old enough that 2001 doesn't seem long ago. Indeed. And I think, you know, one of the things I was talking to recently with one of our investors is about this generational transition that if you look back on the expectations, just speaking very honestly, it would probably be a very nice excuse for a harried founder to have, sorry, I can't take any time. I have to spend that time. But, you know, one of the wonderful things is about the transition is actually, you know, you don't have that excuse and you are forced to to think about what's right in your life, which I think is generally the optimal thing to do in the long term. But I'd love to know about kind of your takeaways and learnings for a dad doing a proper six months, because I won't pretend to you. And I suppose my co-founder, he doesn't have kids, so he probably isn't listening to this. Plus, he hears enough of my voice uh, as it is. But, you know, I would love to do what you did if we have number two. I would love to do the six months. And, you know, reading your blog was really uplifting for me just to talk about the kind of transition from, you know, what it's like to do a short stint to a longer stint. So could you share maybe some of your takeaways as a dad doing a long stint? Yeah, I mean... I became a strong advocate of it, having done it. It's funny, so I I wrote about this in the blog, that when me and my partner, when we were thinking of starting a family, it didn't really occur to us that we've always balanced both of our careers. And, you know, she also has a career that's important to her. I have my career. And it just seemed fair that we would split. It it was almost the one thing we didn't discuss. Like, we over-planned everything about parenthood, except the parental leave. We were just like, oh, yeah, we'll split it. Well, yeah, sure, no problem. We hadn't even checked if it was legally possible. That might perhaps be helped that I spend a large fraction of my life and career in Europe rather than in the UK, where it depends very much on the country. But there are countries in Europe where it's a little bit more normal for fathers to take a share of the leave and it's been possible for longer legally. So, you know, then we like, oh, can we do this? And like the last minute we were checking whether this was actually allowed. And we did the kind of classic thing of she took the first six months, I took the second. There are some, when you're in a heterosexual relationship, there are some biological imperatives that make it easier that way around. We just defaulted to the the obvious. What I learned during the period is that there are a lot of reasons why fathers might not take leave. I wanted to help people, encourage people to maybe some of the psychological barriers to maybe feel like this was something more normal. There are other barriers there that sometimes are, make it very difficult to share it like we did and was fortunate that we were able to. And the experience of it, I remember the first week with my first daughter, I think I ended up with flu. I had flu for some reason. I was there shivering on the sofa under a blanket trying to take care of a six-month-old for the first time ever, not knowing what I was doing and panicking. And the thing is, as a parent, when you're in caring for a young baby, there is no backup. It's on you, so you get through it. I mean, in some sense, startups seem easy in comparison. Nothing is as stressful as that, you know, that taking care of a very young baby where you feel like you've no idea what you're doing. First time since my PhD, I felt out of my depth. I went into it with initially, it was just about fairness. We were balancing things. You know, after a few weeks, it really changed my entire outlook on being a parent. And that bonding experience of taking care of a baby, your child, for me, it was important. It made a difference that it was on my own. It meant that, you know, I was really 100% responsible for her. And that gave me an opportunity to feel like a father in some sense, for the first time, because in the first six months I was working, you have that weird experience as a father that after two weeks you go back in and everyone says congratulations, and then for all of them, their lives are the same as they always were, and they think yours is, and you know you're going home and nothing is the same at all ever again. So 
there are a lot of things I would have done differently in the first six months in terms of supporting my partner had I known just what it was like taking care of a baby on your own full time. It's kind of rewarding and relentless. I hope I was a supportive partner, but in some sense I was I was working hard. I was making sure there was food, I was, you know, et cetera. But I didn't get the kind of levels of kind of just mental exhaustion of doing that. She did, because she'd done it for six months. And she would very reliably say, okay, I'm going to be home late today. This is when I'll be home. So I'm like, okay, I've only got another half an hour to, before I can crash out on the sofa and get some sleep. And, you know, the second time round was very different in that I knew what it was like. And the second time round, you know, we had this conversation of what are we going to do? How are we going to split it this time? And I said, I want my six months. It was no longer about fairness. It was I, that was so fulfilling and important to me that the second time round, I wasn't willing to give up a day of it. When I was reading your blog, one thing that really resonated with me is I absolutely am a part-time carer for my child, right? That's what I do. And, you know, Sarah, my wife's back to work now. And, you know, Evie goes to nursery. And I actually, I've had days where I've looked after Evie from morning till night. And, you know, one of the things that really shocked me was how incredibly difficult looking after a child for a single day from the start of the day till the night was. And I know this sounds absolutely embarrassing, right? But it just gave me a sense of how heroic continuous care, giving continuous care and actually what it takes. It's like anything, you know, you form a bond through doing hard things, right? It was really struck me, actually, because quite frankly, speaking really honestly, reading your blog and thinking, I was like, wow, could I do that? Could I do? I find it hard to do a day, six months. <laughs> I think the answer to that is yes, absolutely, you could do it. And of course, you get better at it very quickly with practice. Doing one day one off is really hard and terrifying, and you've no idea. And I remember saying, you know, how do you know when she's hungry and needs feeding? How do you know when she needs a nap? And like my partner was just said, well, you know, it's kind of obvious and it's and I got her to kind of explain the schedule that she was on as if babies are ever on any stable schedule. And after two weeks or three weeks, I was in tune with that. I had figured out what worked. I knew when I needed to get bottles of milk warmed up. I knew when if I didn't get her down for a nap, then I was going to hit a problem with later. And and then after that, because they changed so fast, I was more in tune with that than my partner. And she was the one asking me, you know, when does she need a nap now? And I would be going, oh, that cry, she's, she's hungry. I was like, how do you know from the tone of the crying whether she's hungry or tired or needs an appy change? Well, the reality is you kind of know roughly what the day looks like and it evolves. It's not that it gets easier, but you certainly, you get better at it. And so I think doing one day is probably the toughest thing you can do because you're going in there cold. After two weeks, you'll probably find one day is a lot easier in the sense that it's not as daunting. You know how the... You've learned, basically, and you've learned the hard way by doing it in the deep end. And I think anyone can do it. And, you know, with my second daughter, I, you know, of course, I thought I knew what I was doing. I'm like, yeah, got this down, did this, know how to do it. And of course, they're a different person and suddenly realize, ah, no, I've actually everything I learned, I have to relearn it. I'm smiling to myself. I'm thinking of the analogy everyone talks about in startups of zero to one and one to N, right? In many ways, it's what you're describing to me feels really strongly the sort of thing as a startup. I remember, you know, the first time you do lots of things as a startup, it feels really similar. And not saying they're equivalent, but that kind of feeling, which is one of the reasons we wanted to set this podcast up, because there are clearly strong themes there. I completely agree. I mean, like when you start your first startup, you're going in cold. You don't know what you're doing. Everything is daunting and you're learning it for the first time. Anything where you're diving into something which you're going to have to learn, 
you're going to learn it on the job to some extent because you can't learn parenting just from a book. You can read a lot and it helps. You can read a lot about founding a startup and it helps. But at the end of the day, the only way you really learn is then by doing it. And I think there are a lot of parallels there. Yeah. Well, I thought that was absolutely awesome kind of insight into what it's like to do the, the full-on parental leave. And you've definitely given me a little bit of courage. Like you say, uh, I think the scars of early stage parenting, seed stage parenting, those scars heal. And then you think about, oh yeah, I could do it again. So Toby, my favorite question now, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids? I actually think it's one we've touched upon. I think the biggest thing I've learned from, you know, in the years since we founded Facecraft is that it's really important to be able to take time off from it as a founder, to be able to step back and maybe you're reflecting on the company, make sure you have some downtime, even if you're not a parent, because otherwise, if you're so immersed in it the whole time, and it's very easy to be like that with a startup company, when you start, you are the HR department, you are finance team, you are everything. And you're trying to get this thing off the ground. And it's extremely exciting. It's extremely engrossing. And if you're not careful, not only you know you risk burning out, it's really important for the company as well. When you step back and start thinking more strategically, longer term, creatively about the company rather than the day-to-day, I at least can only get that if I have sometimes when I'm away from it. So if I could teach them one thing, it's to like learn and maybe hopefully learn quicker than I did to balance recharging your batteries and recharging your kind of creativity. The phrase that, that stuck with me is that startups are marathons run in short sprints, right? And you have to have the gaps in between because if you think you're sprinting a marathon, you're definitely not sprinting. <laughs> and that kind of perspective of framing the family time and, and personal time as recovery as much as anything else, you know, uh, is such an important lesson. And I think for lots of founders, as you say, particularly at the beginning, when you are running at 200% and you've got 18 different jobs, you know, just to make sure that you can see if you want to build something profound over the long term, you need to be able to look up, right? It's a really, really valuable lesson. That's not talked about enough, actually. Well, Toby, that was super inspiring. You've definitely given me lots of inspiration for potential opportunities for long-term paternity as a startup dad. Um, before we go, we like to close up the show with our section Startup Shoutouts, where we shine a light at some people in the startup ecosystem that we admire. Startup Shout out. So who's your startup shout out, Toby? There are a couple, actually. So since we've been talking a lot about parenting and combining parenting with startups, I actually want to give a shout out to our investors. And it sounds trite, but they have been, when we told them at the board meeting, so the Local Globe, episode one, Albion and Parkwalk, when we told them at the board meeting that we wanted a gender-blind parental pay policy with no qualifying period, and they said, congratulations, that's fantastic. You know, just I was really inspired to some extent that, you know, you view venture capital as this extremely cutthroat capitalism in its rawest form. And the fact that they understood the importance of that and really believed in it. And that was very refreshing. And I like the fact that that's becoming a bit more the culture within the startup world, I think is a great thing. In terms of people doing really cool stuff, we work in quantum computation. So we we're working particularly on applications of quantum. So we don't develop quantum hardware, but we're developing, getting these early stage quantum computers to do something useful. And there are a couple of companies out there that are doing some amazing work to apply this to develop more innovative materials. And Oxford PV is a startup that's trying to build more efficient photovoltaics with some really innovative technology. And what they're doing is really cool. Um, I really like the fact that one of their lead scientists, she's 
Spanish female. It's great to see someone. It's unfortunately rare in deep tech and in science. You've got a big gender balance issue. And it's just great to see a startup that's doing such really cool technology and has such a great science team. And um, I think that if we're not opening the door to people who need to balance family life or to women in science and technology, we're leaving half of the talent on the floor. And in deep tech startup world, you live or die by the talent of the team you build. And sometimes I actually view it as a competitive advantage. So I actually think there's a very good business case for this, especially in the deep tech world. Totally agree. You know, to me, diversity, it's always felt like an incredibly obvious way to increase the pool of amazing people. It's always felt like, you know, people who aren't doing it are just missing out on an incredibly obvious source of missed opportunities. So it's, it's great to people do it. Yeah. And if you can have some obvious competitive advantage as a startup, you want to take it. You want to take every bit you can, don't you? Well, Toby, look, that's been an absolutely awesome show. Really fantastic, wonderful, refreshing perspective. Before you go, how can we find out a little bit more about you? What's kind of on the agenda for Phasecraft? Anything you want to give a little bit of a a self-shout out for? Well, my own personal blog is like, I post very occasionally when I have time, which is almost never because I'm startup dad. But the Facecraft websites, like the news that's coming out there, that's the best place to look to us and Twitter where we, you know, when there's exciting stuff coming out. Facecraft is still very, very deep tech. It's quantum computation. It's about as deep as you can get, um, perhaps. So we're very there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming out. There's a huge amount of hype that's in quantum computing and in Facebook, we're really focused on doing stuff that is really going to move the dial on when quantum computing takes off as an industry by actually just being able to bring that technology to, to the market and to commercially useful applications faster than anyone else. And that's why we have a really talented team of scientists focusing most of their time doing R&D. So, you know, there's not a lot when there's news coming out from Facecraft, it's because we've done something like taken five orders of magnitude in 10 years off the timescales for doing materials modeling on quantum computers. We don't post as much as we should probably, but when we do, it tends to be something that is pretty big. And yeah, the best places to keep an eye on what we're up to are the website, Twitter. That's awesome. Like you say, these things not necessarily immediately obviously relatable to everyone, but to see that, you know, when you talk about five orders of magnitude shifts in anything, it's a pretty <laughs> impressive achievement. So well look, Toby, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's been an absolutely awesome episode. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 